Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. Welcome back to the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter. My co-host, as always, is John Paulson. And we haven't been on in, in a, probably about a month plus, so we got a lot to get to today. we got to get to some news. we got to got to get to players opting out and how that impacts your fantasy drafts. Ron, John's got some uh, information and some thoughts on the running back position. we got a really cool giveaway, but... I mentioned John Paulson. Let me say hi to him first. John, how are we doing today? Not bad. Uh, hanging in there. Uh, getting ready to hopefully, you know, rank some football players this fall. Uh, it seems like everybody's moving forward with the season, and it seems like it's going to happen. So we'll see how things go. Yeah, knock on wood, right? We'll we'll just forge forward here with the thought that there there will be a season, but obviously we got to get into some COVID-related news as well along the way. Before we do any of that, John, tell us about the music that brought us in today. Uh, yeah, that was a, a track uh, called Good Times by The Lone Bellow, and it's off their um, album Half Moonlight. It came out this year. Uh, Lone Bellow might have a couple other tracks on our Most Accurate Podcast playlist um, that you want to check out. Um, but this one's called uh, "Good Times," the third track on that album, and uh, we'll uh, I'll I'll tweet out the uh, the podcast playlist again uh, for those that haven't uh, been able to follow it yet and like the music on the pod. And if you go to at four 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 underscore John, which is John Paulson's Twitter page, you can also see what we're doing right now at four four four, which is giving a away a chance to uh, win an FFPC main event entry. We've also got a, a several signed NFL jerseys. We've got some 4 for 4 for four swag. It's a really cool giveaway that we're doing right now. If you subscribe to 4for4.com, and that's the number 4, F-O-R number 4.com, you can enter to win what I mentioned before. One entry into the 2020 FFPC online made event. That's a value of $1,900. You get one of eight signed NFL jerseys. Deshaun Watson, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, Allen Robinson, Devontae Adams, Josh Jacobs, DK Metcalf, and Kenny Galladay are the, the jerseys that were given away. And as well as, well as one of 25 four for four t-shirts which are really cool i'm wearing one right now in fact so uh john really cool giveaway that we have going on right now at four for four yeah i mean that main event entry is worth nineteen hundred dollars and uh, we uh, a friend of mine and i co-own a team uh every year and i believe we finish in the playoffs every time so we always have some money coming in last last year we finished first in points scored for the season so we definitely made some cash uh last year it's a fun tournament with uh, tight end premium uh, there's a lot of data out there if you want to look at ADP and stuff. So yeah, FFPC has been one of my go-to places to to play uh, fantasy in the last few years. And again, just a reminder, 444.com has that information as well as if you go to John's Twitter page, which is at 444 underscore John. Let's get into some of the news now in impacting fantasy and the NFL season in large. COVID opt-out, that deadline is 4 p.m. Eastern 
on Thursday. We're recording on Thursday, but we're recording before the deadline. So we'll discuss the impact of any further opt-outs next week. But I do want to ask you first and foremost, John, since we've been off, Damian um, Williams for the Chiefs has opted out. So this now puts a large focus from a, from a fantasy standpoint on the rookie, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. How high do you have Alaire now moving up with Damien Williams opting out? I wrote an article uh, entitled, Is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire a No-Brainer RB1? Uh, this was after the opt-out by Damien, and that basically breaks down my thought process on it. And um, the, the short answer is yes, I think he is a no-brainer RB1 at this point. Um, I, there's a couple things I want to get into. First of all, um, as you know, people that have followed me this off season and know that I like I like Damian Williams quite a bit in the fifth, sixth, seventh rounds where he was going and his AD, you know, his ADP was mired in the middle rounds there while uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire was going in the second or third round. I thought he was being way overdrafted given the situation. Uh, and that was, you know, it, I think the fantasy community just looks at Damian Williams as, a, as another guy, uh, as a jag, as they say. Um, but his production when he's been starting, especially, you know, late in the season over the last two years has been just absolutely outstanding. And I did not think that they would send that production to the bench. Uh, certainly not immediately uh, just because they drafted a first round rookie. I think it's obvious that they are looking at Edward Solaire as the RB one of the future. And, you know, Williams time as the starter was probably, uh, you know, limited, you know, may only last one season or half a season, but I think he was going to come into the season as a starter and the GM said as much and the RB coach expected a big leap from him this year um, before he opted out. Uh, you just don't see teams bench production like this. He had 18.6 touches, 110 total yards, 1.5 touch, seven touchdowns per game uh, over the last seven games of the season, including the postseason. He was a Super Bowl hero with 133 total yards and two touchdowns. Uh, in the Super Bowl, uh, his 2018 numbers uh, clo- to close the season were pretty much the same. 18.6 touches, 114 total yards, 1.6 touchdowns. I just think that when you look at that production, yes, they want to get Edwards Lair going, but Williams is still going to be the starter. And there were certainly cases, uh, you know, paths for Edwards Lair, the rookie, to to turn into the starter there because Williams has not been the most durable guy and has, you know, hasn't played 16 games as a starter. But I think coming into the season, we were looking at 55, 60% Williams and 40%, 45% Edward Solaire, maybe, you know, 5% to some of the other guys there, but all that's irrelevant now that uh, we won't know what was going to happen. Um, because, uh, Williams has opted out and, He's the rookie is certainly in line to be the RB one there. So I went back and looked at uh, Andy Reid's running backs since 1999, and they have averaged uh, 18.8 touches in 13.3 uh, games played for an average uh, touches. The lead back has averaged 250 touches. There are a couple of things to note here: is that he has dealt with young running backs a little bit differently than he has with his established vets. Uh, the second year. Brian Westbrook, remember how good he was. Uh, his In his second season, he only averaged 10.3 touches. Uh, he split time with Coral Buckhalter, 9.1 touches, and Deuce Staley, who had been the, the RB1 in Philly for several years. Uh, Staley averaged 8.3 touches per game that year in 2003. And then uh, in 2009, LaShawn McCoy, as a rookie, he only touched the ball 12.2 times. Uh, 
per game. Uh, that was with Brian Westbrook still in the fold. Uh, Westbrook had 32 touches in the first two games that year, so the plan uh, was for him to start, but then he got injured, got nicked up, and then McCoy took over. He ended up with 195 touches that year, but he was splitting with, with Westbrook, uh, 10.8 touches per game in eight games. And then the, the third data point, which I think everybody is pointing to uh, to get very excited about, is the Kareem Hunt 2017 season where um, he touched the ball 325 times in 16 games for 23.3 touches per game, and Chuck Hendrick West was barely involved. He was the RB2, 3.5 touches per game uh, for him. So I think everybody that's drafting uh, Edward Slayer is sort of expecting that type of a, a season from from him, the, the hunt 2017 hunt season. But I wanted to point out 2003-2009 with Andy Reid that he did bring um, those rookies and young players. Uh, it was Westbrook was a second-year player at that point. Uh, along slowly, but he had Deuce Staley, uh, Coral Buckhalter in 2003, and he had Brian Westbrook in 2009. He doesn't look like he has that type of player right now to limit Edward Hilaire as the RB1. So, you know, I think that's what you're looking at as a ceiling, and that's where he's going to be drafted. He's going to be drafted expecting top five, top six numbers. Um, I have him ranked, I think, six in uh, at the RB position in PPR formats. And, um, uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's worthy of that pick at this point. But there are caveats in situations where they have uh, – Andy Reid has limited uh, rookies, young players in his offense uh, by kind of easing them into the situation. All right, so, John, let's talk about the Chiefs running back two right now because you got Darwin Thompson, you've got Elijah McGuire, Darrell Williams is on the depth chart, as as is DeAndre Washington. So you just broke down how Clyde Edwards-Hilaire might look in an RB1 role. What about the Chiefs' RB2? I think that we don't know for sure, but uh, to me it looks like DeAndre Washington is probably going to be that guy. I don't know when that will happen. If you you know, it depends on what sort of camp they're able to have and how comfortable um, the the Chiefs coach, coaching staff is with Washington and getting him in, you know, in for snaps. Uh, but they went out and signed him away from a division rival. Uh, it was kind of a surprising signing given all the different people, you know, running backs that were available at that point uh, in free agency. Uh, but then you kind of dig into it and you can see why they did. I mean, he's been with the the Raiders for four seasons, I think. Um, but he's got 4.49 speed. He played college uh, football with Patrick Mahomes, which I'm sure played a role in the Chiefs going out and signing him. Um, and last year he had three starts with uh, Josh Jacobs out. He had 70 touches, including 16 catches into 334 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, in the seven career games where he's had at least 10 carries, he's averaged 16.6 touches for 82 yards and 0.57 touchdowns. That's 4.46 yards per carry. So his career numbers don't look great, but when he has been given the ball and has been fed the ball, he has produced. Um, and he does have that that 4.49 speed. So he's actually faster than Edwards Lair. So I think that they probably were not that crazy about Darwin Thompson at the end of the season. And Darrell Williams got some run. They both got some run uh, during the season last year because they kept playing uh, running back carousel there in Kansas City. Uh, they decided to go and shore up another, you know, shore up the position. They got Washington, and they then they were probably probably planning on drafting a, a, a rookie pretty, you know, early in the draft. And uh, that's how the team, that's how the backfield is shaping up. And I think Washington has that uh, ability to to be the backup there. And if he's the backup there, 
as I mentioned earlier, it could range from three touches, four touches per game, which is nothing, but he's got a contingency upside or attrition upside if Edward Solaire gets hurt. Um, to it could also go up to an eight to ten touch roll because you know maybe Reed is not comfortable with Edward Solaire playing uh, all the snaps and, and getting eighteen to twenty touches a game. All right, let's move on from Kansas City to Tampa Bay. The Bucks signed LaShawn McCoy, but Arians said on a conference call, Bruce Arians, the head coach of the Bucks said on a conference call that Rojo is the main guy. He'll carry the load. All of those other guys are fighting for roles for who goes uh, in second when he gets tired. Maybe who is the third guy, third down guy, but they're all fighting for a role and special teams will have a lot to do with that. That Rojo comment obviously is uh, Ronald Jones, uh, JP. So if if true, where would Jones be going in fantasy drafts based on Arian's comments? Yeah, if true, I think is the question. And there's definitely some wiggle room within what he's saying but you know if you're if you're a a rojo fan this is the type of stuff that you want to hear from your head coach in august um because we were not 100 percent sure that he was going to be the starter Uh, they drafted uh, uh, kishan vaughn Uh, vaughn ended up on the covid list so he i think has been quarantined for a couple of weeks he's away from the team so that's you know setting him back in his uh learning the offense and you know, maybe they're not going to be uh, as comfortable with the rookies to start the season uh, because he hasn't, he's not going to be out there for practice. And so they ended up going out and signing LaShawn McCoy, who I don't think was washed when, you know, you watch him last year. I think he averaged 4.5 yards per carry for the Chiefs, which is, you know, maybe an asterisk next to that because the Chiefs' offense is so wide open and it's fairly easy to gain rushing yards uh, when you have Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball over the field. Um, but uh, McCoy can step in and, uh, fill that role, uh, maybe the RB2 role, while uh, Vaughn gets acclimated. Uh, and then they've got Dare, the, the third down back from last year. But he, the issue with Ronald Jones and Dare is that neither one, I'm not even going to try to do his last name right now, um, <laughs> uh, is neither one of them were very good at pass protection. Uh, they both were towards the bottom of uh, PFF's uh, pass protection uh, metrics. Uh, so I know uh, Ronald Jones, there was a, there's a hype piece about Ronald Jones with his trainer saying that they've been working on pass protection every day, uh, twice on the weekend type talk. Uh, and if he's really, you know, gotten that much better at it, then he'd probably be out there quite a bit because he did run the ball well when he had that opportunity. Uh, but it sounded to me like from what Arians was saying that he's right now, he's planning to start the season with Jones as the first, second down back and McCoy working in on third downs because McCoy is a very good pass protector and he's experienced. He knows where to be and he will be a threat, I think, to to Jones a bit just in terms of the, the snaps on third down and uh, if, if Jones misses a pass block or something because he got benched last year for that. you know, he's So he's on, I would say, thin ice as the starter. Uh, so to answer your question, you know, where should he be going? I think you're probably looking at him, you know, after Akers, you know, kind of where Swift, uh, Cream Hunt are going. Um in, in fantasy drafts, so probably that fifth, sixth round is a, is a good good spot to take him. I think this offense has a lot of upside because of Brady now, and obviously the great receivers, they're going to score more, you know, maybe score more touchdowns, not as many interceptions with Jameis Winston out of there. Uh, he could have 10 uh, rushing touchdowns. So there is definitely upside with Jones. All right, the Dolphins are cautiously optimistic that Preston Williams will be ready for week one. Both Alan Hearns and Albert Wilson have opted out for the NFL season. So what is this receiving core going to look like? Who do you like? Yeah, I'm a little bit more bullish now on Parker. Um, I did take him in my pros versus Joes uh, 
draft because of these opt-outs, um, or I'm, I'm bullish, more bullish on him as as being that that wide receiver one guy because they're 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 cautiously optimistic about Williams, which means he's not like ready to go August sixth. So um, that tells me that they're probably going to go into the season. He might have a slow start in September, and Parker should be able to pick up where he left off. And you know these his snaps should be way high with Hearns. Uh, and uh, Wilson opting out. I mean, there's, there is an opportunity for somebody like Jakeem Grant um, to, to play. Um, I'm pulling up their depth chart right now. I know Isaiah Ford played some last year. They've got Greg Jennings. They've got Matt Collins, who's like a deep threat. Um, so who's going to be that third receiver? It might be Ford. It might be Grant. Uh, it could be Jennings, I guess. Um, so they got to figure that out. Grant has had some good seasons in terms of yards per route run. Uh, so he's a, you know, very fast, quick guy. He could play in the slot for them and also return kicks. Um, but yeah, I think on, on the whole, you know, I still like Williams as a, as kind of a sleeper. He's going way later than Parker. And when Williams and Parker were both playing last year, Williams actually out was out producing him, uh, for the first half of the season. Once Williams went out, that's when Parker and uh, Mike Kosicki really took off in terms of their targets. So, the question is, does that stick, or does it does it kind of go back to how it was when Williams was in the lineup? And the other, other player that could really benefit from this is Matt Breda, uh, the pass-catching running back. Um, they, he could find time in the slot or running more routes than he normally would have with, uh, with Wilson and Hearns out. Steelers wide receiver Deontay Johnson is 100% after his sports hernia surgery. I know there was a lot of hype a year ago about Deontay Johnson being a sleeper as a wide receiver three. What are you expecting from Johnson in the second season? Well, heading into this uh, offseason, you know, looking at James Washington versus Deontay Johnson, I noticed that Washington uh, outgained Johnson in nine of 15 games last year uh, and had a higher yards per route run. So it looked to me like Johnson was maybe being overdrafted uh, while Washington was sort of being ignored. Uh, but then Matt Harmon came out with his reception perception charting, and, and he, Johnson did very well in that. And I have found it very helpful, uh, the charting that, that Harmon does, in terms of predicting breakouts. It predicted the breakout of Tyree Kill, predicted the breakout of uh, Tyler Lockett. So whenever uh, Harmon comes in and has charting that shows a very young receiver doing very well, uh, I tend to bump them up in my rankings because, you know, the number one job of a receiver is to to run the route and run it well and to win your route. And if you're doing that, then fantasy points usually follow. So Johnson also, on top of that, we find out that he had a sports hernia, which we didn't really know that was happening last year. So, you know, playing having played through the, the season injured and still producing the way he produced, uh, that certainly makes me more inclined to take him in that seventh, eighth round, ninth round, uh, where he's going in drafts. I mean, there's a weird uh, drop-off at the receiver position where all of a sudden you go from, um, you know, I like Emmanuel Sanders, John Brown, Will Fuller, Jamison Crowder, and then you get a lot of rookies like C.D. Lamb and Anthony Miller and, you know, Brandon Cooks. I'm just looking at my rankings. So there's kind of a weird drop-off there, and I think Deontay Johnson probably should be bumped up here into the mid-30s with uh, – uh, with the news that he's 100% after the, the surgery and with the news that uh, Ben Roethlisberger is looking good at, at quarterback. I mean, that's the other concern there is, is, is he ready to, to play 14, 15, 16 games a season? 
All right, Jarvis Landry, who's been dealing with a hip injury, is on the active pup list, but is expected to be fine for week one. How do you think that he and Odell Beckham Jr. will fare in Kevin Stefanski's offense now that uh, Stefanski is now in Cleveland? Yeah, this is one of the more compelling offseason storylines from a uh, guy who has to do projections and try to figure out what an offense is going to look like. Uh, You know, Kevin Stefanski came up over in, in Minnesota and he uh, replaced DeFilippio uh, late, late in 2018, went extremely run-heavy then and went extremely run-heavy last season. Uh, the pass attack, passing attack was actually pretty productive. Um, Kirk Cousins was accurate and you know had a good season, um, but it was a low-volume attack. And when I looked at their... You know, how is this offense, if he takes his whole offense over to, to Cleveland and does the same thing, you know, how is that going to impact Jarvis Landry, you know, Odell Beckham? They sign Austin Hooper. They've got a pass catching back and Kareem Hunt. Um, they've got Njoku there as well. So can it support all these players where they're being drafted? And I feel like Hooper is, his ADP has taken a hit. And you look at the first six weeks prior to Adam Thielen's injury, Thielen was the number six receiver fantasy receiver while Diggs was number 15 so his offense was able to support those two receivers but the tight ends had done nothing at that point um so you wonder like where Beckham and Landry are going to fit in if Hooper is getting six seven eight targets a game as well and they went out and signed him to this giant contract so you'd think that they would want to use him um the other question is was Stefanski that run heavy because Zimmer insisted on it or was it because Stefan uh or does Stefanski, in his heart of hearts, want to throw the ball more than than he did? Was he just doing what his head coach wanted so he could be the OC and go get a, a head coaching job somewhere? Um, or was he is he really a run-heavy guy at, at heart? So that's the big question. I think the offensive line is going to be a lot better this year with their additions. Um, so I'm very interested to see maybe the first two or three games, how, how in neutral situations, how pass-heavy the – the the Browns are compared to what the the Vikings were uh, last year. Antonio Brown has been suspended for eight games. John, he can't be worth a draft pick this year, right? <laughs> I mean, you just got to pass. <laughs> well, I, t- I I took him in my pros versus Joe's draft in the seventeenth eighteenth round, I think. So um, I feel like he is worth it at that point in the draft. I think that, I mean, the pros versus Joe's is a best ball. So I'm stuck with them all year, but I was sitting there looking at all the guys available at that point, And I'm like, who, like, this is a pros versus Joe's is a, I don't even know. I think it was last year. It was 72 team tournament. I think it's even, even more leagues this year. So I'm like, who, who here could win me, could legitimately win me the whole tournament. And instead of taking my wide receiver six or seven, um, you know, from a player that, you know, may not play at all or barely play, I decided to roll the dice on Brown. So I think in, in regular leagues where you're just trying to beat 12 people, he's not necessarily somebody you need to pick, but if you can, if you can pick him up uh, early in the summer and then cut him, you know, it looks, if it looks like he's not going to be signed anywhere, then that doesn't really cost you much because that where he's going in drafts, he's so cheap and it's like a lottery ticket. So do you like to play scratch offs? I don't, you know, I, I don't mind them when they're, you know, given to me as gifts uh, I don't mind playing the scratch offs. Um, do I think he's going to be signed? I, he's just so good, uh, but he's he's a weird dude, and drama follows him everywhere. So it has to be like a good uh, fit for him. I think there, there are rumors that Baltimore was interested, uh, Seattle. I mean, there's just been uh, enough buzz 
this offseason with him in terms of teams being interested in him. Um, that makes me think that there's somebody is going to pull the trigger. You know, either there's an injury or, a, you know, um, a team feels like he's been he's been, you know, a good citizen for a month. And feel they, they feel like they can bring him in and fit him into the offense. And if they don't, if he doesn't behave, then they just cut him. Um, he has the talent. I, I, it's just amazing to me that he survived that many years in Pittsburgh. And we didn't really hear anything about any of this. Um, he was the greatest running or greatest uh, wide receiver in the game for multiple years. And there was zero, like almost zero drama surrounding him. I, mean, I think toward, there was towards the end some like grumbling about this and that, but we never saw any of this, and now all of a sudden he's not even, you know, he's on the street right now, you know, trying to sign with a team, and he's, you know, retired and unretired multiple or you know multiple times. So, I do think that there, he will be signed at some point if his court cases and everything that are going on in the off season or in, right now, um, you know, go away or are settled, because the NFL came out and said, you know, he's out for eight games. But you know, who wouldn't want a well-behaved Antonio Brown? You know, on the on the roster in the offense for the last eight games, uh, I think like a lot of teams would probably decide that that's something that they could add to their to their to their offense. But it has to be a locker room that can handle his presence. Yeah, just just one note on that. You, you talked about the fact that we didn't hear much in Pittsburgh on Antonio Brown. You're absolutely right. That goes to show you what great leadership does and what a great organization like Pittsburgh can do. And that not not in terms of like muffling you know, problems, but just having a handle on it, right? And then he gets to Oakland with John Gruden, and that's that's all you heard was was all of his issues. So it just goes to show you why Pittsburgh, whether they're making the playoffs or not, or winning the AFC North or not, that that is one of the more that is still one of the model organizations in all the National Football League. I wonder on in Oakland situation if the Hard Knocks crew had not been there, if things would have been any different, if some of that stuff would have been pushed under the carpet and things would have settled down and gotten smoothed over. It seemed like the cameras being there made everything worse. Yeah, no, that's true. Uh, all right, let's talk about Anthony Lynn. He confirmed that Tyrod Taylor will probably be the Chargers week one starter. What, what's the impact here? Yeah, Tyrod, um, who I used to call, and a lot of other people used to call, Ty God, um, when he was starting for the Bills, he's just as what he was, at that point, he was like such a cheap option uh, in terms of ADP and the production he would give you, um, you know, looking at his 2015, 2016 uh, starting seasons uh, for the Bills, he had 18.5 fantasy points per game, 40 yards rushing, 3.35 rushing touchdowns per game. He was a low interception player. Uh, he would typically throw 1.28 touchdowns per game. Um, so he was number 15 quarterback, fantasy quarterback in 2015, number eight in uh, 2016. Uh, and he does now with the Chargers have one of the better receiving uh, cores in the league, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry. So the, the question is, for me, how long do the Chargers stay competitive? If they're in the playoff hunt, I think they just you know ease uh, Herbert, Herbert in to the system. And if they start to, you know, things start to spin out of control and they just want to get him some playing time experience, that's when they send Taylor to the bench. But he's starting off with Cincy, uh, the Chiefs at home, Carolina at home, Tampa on the road, Saints on the road, Jets at home, Miami on the road, Jacksonville at home, and uh, and Las Vegas uh, Raiders at home. So the opening schedule is really strong before that week ten bye. I think if you're if you're really comfortable streaming, you could you could probably get him in the final round of your draft. Uh, 
and start the season off with Tyrod Taylor and have a loaded roster everywhere else. All right, before we get into John's running back sleepers, values, and targets article, first let's hear from our sponsors. Hey guys, if you're tired of taking a straight razor to your bean bag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up. Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below the belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it, trust me. I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old Huevos Rancheros. You know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try Manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at Manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code TMAP. Check out the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. All right, John, let's talk about your running back sleepers, values, and targets article at 444.com. You can check out if you're subscribed, you can check out all of, all of John's great work at 444.com. How is the running back position shaping up as the summer wears on? Well, I'm, you know, last few drafts I've been, you know, looking at my overall strategy because I have to write my uh, strategic article. Uh, this week or next week. And what I've been trying to do is get at least two running backs in the first three rounds uh, that sometimes would go to the fourth round if it's if it's like a wide receiver heavy draft or a, maybe a tight end heavy draft. Uh, some of these running backs will, will fall into the middle of the fourth round. But I'm just not crazy about the guys available in the fifth, sixth, seventh round to hang my hat on other than maybe a Mark Ingram who I feel – is going to hold on to that job. Uh, I don't know if you notice a trend here between Mark Ingram and Damian Williams, but the veteran, I think, who was very productive last year, holds on to that job for quite a while, and then maybe next year, uh, Dobbins takes over as the starter. So, um, I'm trying to come out with a couple of you know high volume guys in that for those first three rounds, and then I'm hitting the receiver position really hard from you know rounds three through seven, three through eight, maybe four through eight if I take a tight end early. Um, so I'm not really counting on these middle round running backs this year. I'm, I'm trying to get a couple guys early. All right, let's dive into some of your values that you wrote about. So again, this, these are running back values. And one of the names at the top of the list, John, has been mentioned in, you know, uh, by people taking shots at Bill O'Brien for trading DeAndre Hopkins. And that's David Johnson. So you see David Johnson as a potential value now that he's in Houston. Yeah, he his rushing grades and just his yards per carry have not been very good last couple of seasons, but he's still very good in the passing game. Uh, he was the number fantasy, number five fantasy running back uh, prior to his injury last year. So through the first six games, he was top five, um, and he's currently going in you know twenty twentieth twenty second running back off the board. And I think the the key here is that Bill O'Brien is going to make David Johnson work, like he's going to get production out of him. He's going to feed him the ball because of this trade and all the flack he took over it. He's going to get as much as he possibly can out of David Johnson. And I, I just don't see Duke Johnson having as big of a role as he did last year because David Johnson's skill set mirrors Duke Johnson's skill set, whereas Carlos Hyde was mainly a runner, didn't do much in the, in the as a receiver. That's where Duke shined. David should be out there on three downs 
and you know playing a ton of snaps and seeing a ton of uh, uh, touches. Now the question is, can he hold up to that? Um, but I think the volume is absolutely going to be there. It's a pretty good offense. He's got a good quarterback. The defense isn't really great anymore, so it should be some high-scoring games, some you know hurry-up situations. Uh, so I think Johnson's a pretty good value there in the late third, fourth round. All right, let's talk about one more value, then we'll get a, get into a couple of your sleepers. How about Kareem Hunt this year? Yeah, Hunt's interesting. Uh, again, we have Stefans- uh, Stefanski coming over and might change his whole uh, makeup of this backfield or how these guys are used. But Kareem Hunt was you know, extremely productive in his touches last year. Um, week 10 to week 17, he was the number 19 uh, running back uh, with a 10.4 per game average. That's at half PPR formats over the final eight weeks. Um he scored 1.9 fewer points per game than, his, than Nick Chubb did, but Chubb is going in the second round and Hunt is going in uh, the fifth or sixth round. So you get some weekly, like Hunt's in, like for zero RB guys or people that maybe are going to draft one running back in the first two rounds and then you know wait a while and then maybe in the fifth you take Hunt. You're going to get some weekly production from him. You aren't going to get the 20 touches that maybe you want, but you're going to get high yield touches in, in with the catches and he has, you know, top five upside if anything were to happen to Nick Chubb. So if there, you have that, again, another lottery ticket that if something happens with Chubb, now you have Hunt in a 20 touch role and he looks like the next Dalvin Cook. Um, so that, that sort of upside plus a weekly role, you don't see that very often. And, and that's what Hunt represents there in the fifth or sixth round. Okay, so let's talk about some of your sleepers then. Those were two value plays. Let's start off with the Eagles, Boston Scott. Uh, what do you what do you like? I mean, he's kind of a, a shifty back. He's got some explosiveness, but he's not necessarily physical either. So from from a standpoint of Boston Scott being a sleeper, are you thinking about PPR? Yeah, he had quite a few catches down the stretch. Um, 70 touches, uh, 26 catches in the last five games. And he had a game there where Miles Sanders was out, um, and that includes the, the the Eagles playoff game. His numbers were boosted by the 23 touches he saw in Week 17. Uh, Sanders left the game early with an ankle injury. Even if you ignore that game, he was still seeing nine to 16 touches as the backup to Sanders, and that's a pretty hefty role for the RB2 in any offense. Um, plus, you're getting some PPR production out of him. He's another zero RB guy. I mean, he's going fairly late in drafts, eighth, ninth, tenth round, and home and you know friends and family home leagues, uh, maybe even later because people just don't you know know about him or pay attention that closely. Uh, the only caveat here is that the Eagles were supposedly in you know in the market for a veteran running back like uh, Lashawn McCoy, who got signed elsewhere, or Devonta Freeman. If that happens, it might you know Scott's uh, outlook might change. But as it stands, he's the RB2 behind Sanders, and he's going to probably see, I don't know, 10 touches a week. So you're looking at a 160-touch roll with quite a few catches. I mean, that's, that can be quite useful um, even if even if Sanders plays a full season. All right, let's do one more sleeper, and then we'll get into some of the running backs that you like outside of the first couple of rounds. Chris Thompson winds up in Jacksonville. Do you like his opportunities to be the, the third down back there? Yeah, and he's one of these guys I just can't quit. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, you know, he was electric at times for for uh, Washington, uh, the Washington football team. Uh, Jay Gruden is now the OC in Jacksonville, and that's why I really pay attention to this signing because you know Jay Gruden coached Tom, uh, Thompson in Washington for several years. 
Uh, since 2016, uh, Thompson averaged 3.6 catches per game and averaged 52 total yards per game. So this is why I'm like down on Leonard Fournette. I mean, Fournette finished top seven or whatever last year, but it was a lot, a lot to do with his giant leap in the the passing game. And I think Thompson now is that guy. So that's going to cut into Fournette's snaps and his touches as a receiver. And they were also just not real sold on Fournette. It sounded like he was on the trading block uh, and all that. So, so I think uh, Thompson probably will, you know, see eight or 10, maybe uh, fantasy points per game and PPR full PPR formats. And I think that's useful. Again, he's, he can be available extremely late in drafts. And if something happens to Fournette, you know, you're looking at Reichwell Armstead, um, as you know, primary competition for Thompson to see the field, and if the Jaguars are not, you know, leading games or three, you know, are in catch-up mode. I think it's going to be Thompson on the field quite a bit, and he could be racking up those catches late. All right, let's move on to a couple of primary running back targets that that you like outside of the first couple of rounds. I feel like this is another guy you just can't quit, and I understand that he's got the talent, but uh, he also broke his hip in Week 17 and missed all the playoffs. You're talking about Chris Carson. What do you think? Yeah, he's uh, looks like he's good to go. Um, they 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 uh, signed Carlos Hyde, but that seems to have more to do with Rashad Penny, who is expected to you know miss the first part of the season with a, a you know recovery from torn ACL. Um, Carson was the number eleven uh, running back in half PPR per game average is twelfth highest at his position. They fed him the ball. He had a fumbling problem early in the year, but they went back to him. Uh, they gave him 20 plus carries uh, each of the next five games after he had a uh, his third straight game with a fumble, so I think he's the far and away the RB one there, and I think Hyde is the backup. Uh, and then Carson is going fairly late uh, in terms of what I think his value is. I think probably should be going in the third round. He's going in the fourth round. So if you want to start your uh, draft, uh, you know, with a wide receiver or two in the, or a tight end, maybe in those first three rounds, Carson should be available or maybe a David Johnson's available uh, there in the fourth round for you. I think these are high volume guys that people are kind of sleeping on. All right. A couple more guys, Joshua Kelly, Antonio Gibson in the later rounds. Joshua Kelly's interesting because he's stuck in the same backfield as Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. He's kind of one of those running backs that is difficult to evaluate because he was great at the combine. He posted some unbelievable numbers, but at UCLA, he was almost kind of used as a power back, which, you know, I don't, I don't really know if he's a true back. So talk to us about Joshua Kelly and then Antonio Gibson would be the other one. Yeah, and the, the film guys, I think Matt Waldman likes uh, Joshua Kelly. I've seen some other film guys uh, that like him as well. Um, I think that the plan is probably to have Eckler as your primary guy in the field, but you know Kelly is going to be that thunder to Eckler's lightning and probably the guy uh, around the goal line because Jackson is not a big guy either. So you have Eckler and Jackson. I mean, I know Eckler's Instagram photos make him look like a very big guy but I don't know I don't know if he's the guy he's he's going to be punching the ball into the end zone uh from the one yard out I think that might be Kelly and I also think that uh you know if you are an Eckler owner um and you want not necessarily a handcuff but a guy that could produce for you in a pinch let's say you have you know other running backs around by and you want to start both Eckler and Kelly I think that's feasible uh, may not work out for you that particular week, but you might end up with Kelly with a 50 yards and a touchdown, and then Eckler with his usual his usual game. Uh, I I just feel like Eckler is not going to be 200 plus 250 plus carry guy. So 
he's going to be primarily a pass catcher, but maybe 150, 180 uh, carries. So where do those carries go? I think it's probably uh, to Kelly. Uh, the other guy, Gibson, um, he's a he's kind of a weird prospect. Uh, you know, he played a receiver, but carried the ball uh, from Memphis. Um, Ron Rivera, after they drafted him, compared his skill set to Christian McCaffrey's. So when that happened, I was like, oh, uh, that's, that's an interesting comp, uh, his old, you know, McCaffrey's old coach compared and I, and I watched some, you know, highlights films, film of Gibson and he doesn't like jump out to me as the next Christian McCaffrey, but he did run the ball. Well, he's a good pass catcher. Uh, they're going to try to manufacture touches for him. And this is, this is a situation where if you, you know, if Darius Geis is healthy for 16 games, he's probably the, the lead back there, but Geis has, you know, played. He's missed 27 games the last two seasons, basically played five games. So if he can't stay healthy, then they've got uh, Adrian Peterson. They signed a couple of vets like Peyton Barber and J.D. McKissick. Um, But I think they're going to try to get Gibson on the field either as a receiver or as a running back and try to get him eight to ten touches a game if he picks things up quickly. And I think that's a value at the, the 11th to 13th round where he's going. All right, let's talk about your tight end sleepers, values, and targets article. You list three breakout candidates that you're not targeting, and these were breakout candidates from a year ago. Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, or I should say, these are breakout candidates this year that you know gave you the impression from what they did a year ago. Mike Gusecki, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. Why are you not fully on board with these guys? It's mainly their ADP. They're going before guys that I would rather have. Um, so I, I have ended up with a couple of these guys in drafts. Um, I think I have Gusecki in one and Hawkinson in another. Um, Gusecki, you know, I think the Dolphins like basically view him as a receiver and that's great for fantasy production. Um, He ran the most or the highest percentage of his routes um, out of the slot uh, per PFF. So that, that tells me that Miami looks at him as a pass catcher uh, and not as a run blocker. But my issue, again, is Preston Williams. You look at Gusecki's splits with Williams. He was only targeted 12% uh, of Ryan Fitzpatrick pass attempts. Uh, And then when Williams, um, that was when Williams was active, 12%. And once Williams was injured, it was 17.7% after that injury. So his... He started to spike when Williams went out. So how does this all shake out with Preston Williams there? And and should we be, you know, Williams was an, like an unheralded rookie. Should we be, you know, accounting for him so heavily in this offense? Or did Parker and Gesicki break out because they're talented and they, they were due to break out in this offense? Uh, was They were going to do it whether or not Preston Williams was healthy or not. We just don't know. So there's a, just a bit of a question mark there and he's where he's going in drafts. I just haven't been... Uh, upset when he's taken earlier than some of the other guys I like. Uh, Noah Fant, they love him in terms of throwing throwing the ball deep to him. He's super athletic and fast. My issue here is the additions of Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I just don't see a giant role for Fant when you've got Sutton in there as well. Um, his targets dropped from 4.8 per game to 2.8 per game once uh, Drew Locke took over as the starter. So that's also kind of alarming um he might break out but i'm not counting on it based on where he's going in drafts and then hawkinson um he was number 20 tight end by the time he was injured in week 13 and 31 percent of his fantasy points came in that first game against the cardinals who are you know pretty awful against tight ends um 
you know, I don't, I'm not giving up on him. And I think that, you know, the healthy Matthew Stafford, uh, he could have a breakout season, but, you know, I think he's third or fourth in line for targets there with, you know, Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay, and then possibly like Danny Amendola uh, getting more targets than him in that offense. You discuss five primary tight end targets in the article that you wrote at 444.com. Who are your two favorites relative to their ADP? These guys are kind of funny because they're bouncing around a little bit. Um, and I you know, I want to leave a little mystery so people click on the article and read it. But the, the one guy I think that people are sleeping on because of the CD Lamb edition is Blake Jarwin. I think he was going to break out. I think he's going to break out regardless of who's on the field there for the Cowboys. Uh, you know, uh, CD Lamb can fill the um, Randall Cobb role. Uh, Randall Cobb had a big role in that offense, so I think there's still room for Jarwin to break out because you know Jason Witten is gone. Um, I think Jarwin runs 400 routes. Uh, he was ninth in PFF's uh, yards per route run metric in 2019, uh, so he's productive when he's running routes. And I think you, know, you just up those routes, and now you're going to have quite a bit more production. He's playing one of the best uh, passing attacks uh, in the league there with, with Dallas. And then uh, the other guy, I think, relative to ADP, it's creeping up a little bit now. He's going a little bit earlier. Is Chris Herndon? Uh, there was a comment coming out of the Jets uh, facility that they were um, excited to unleash Herndon after he missed a lot of last season. He had 500 yards as a rookie with four touchdowns, and that was the 14th best fantasy season by rookie tight end. Uh, Ryan Griffin was great last year uh, playing in his place, but he started the uh, off-season uh, camp on, on Pup, so it doesn't look like he's ready to go. So I think Herndon, you can just slide him in that TE1 role, and he'll probably not let go of that. Um, he with, with, with Darnold, I think he's had pretty good rapport, uh, and you know, he's a, he's a guy that's going, I don't know, tight end 20 plus and could finish in the top 12 if everything breaks his way. All right. You discussed several value players as well, but as you just mentioned, John, let's entice the listener to check out the article, which you can do so at 444.com. So all the articles that we mentioned today, John's tight end sleepers, values, and targets article, running back sleepers, values, and targets article, as well as the Clyde Edwards-Alaire uh, article which in which John discusses whether or not Alaire is a, new, is a no-brainer RB1. All of that can be found at 444.com, so make sure that you check out the, the articles, and if you're not a subscriber, jump on it now because you want to get John's rankings as well throughout the course of the year. That'll do it for us. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast. We do appreciate it. You can also follow John on Twitter at 444 underscore John. Don't forget about the giveaway that I mentioned at the top of the pod. All that information, again, can be found at 444.com. If you want to give me a follow as well on Twitter, fantastic. I can be found at Anthony Stalter. We'll be back next week. We'll have plenty more discussion on the latest news. We'll discuss also the the COVID-19 list because that deadline, again, is today. We're recording a little bit earlier, so we'll revisit that, as well as discuss more sleepers, values, and everything that uh, goes into helping you win your fantasy drafts this year. That's it for John Paulson. I'm Anthony Stalter. We'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast. Had his angels on the side Took confessions from a corner Held him down, made him cry The first one you call on Last one by your side Parks the soldiers in the airport Not one for long goodbye